Well, today we're starting a new series called Power and Presence. And basically it means this. It means that God still offers his power and his presence to us now. Now, I don't know how you were raised. I'm sure you all had wonderful childhoods with zero problems. But um, I don't know how you were raised spiritually either. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, whether it was a Christian home, an evangelical home, or a Roman Catholic home, or, or a non-religious home, or whatever it was. Uh, you, we, we grew up in different homes uh, with regard to our religious background and faith. And I'm going to tell a little bit about my story, and then I'm going to tie it into what, what uh, Ingrid just uh, read for us. And... And for me, I grew up in a great church with uh, great leaders. And it was in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, you know, just this beautiful part of the country uh, with <laughs> factories that are no longer in operation, and, but great churches. And I, and I went to a really great church that really focused on the Bible and, um, and taught God's word. And it was, it was like a really good, um, it was a good experience. See how I didn't get that done correctly because everyone will watch me. <laughs> and it's still taking a long time. There we go. Okay, I got it. Cool. I'll pay you back for that. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Jess. So, so it was a great. It was a great church. It was called Grace Church, and I came to faith there. And they, what they had in their church, in that church, was a concept for healing in God's power, like it existed, but we never really saw it. We never really saw many miracles happen or things happen uh, of that kind of uh, nature. And uh, we just kind of like went along and, uh, but, and, it, and it was good. And I learned God's word and I learned a new way of living. And my parents had come to faith in that church and uh, were raising us there. And that was a really, really positive experience. And then after high school, I went to college, and I was a part of a really conservative uh, ministry in college. And I appreciated all the leadership, and we really focused on the Bible. But it had sort of some uh, very like particular kinds of theological views. There really wasn't room for the miracles or the power of God. You didn't really pray on a regular basis, God, would you heal this person? Or God, I want to experience your manifest presence. Uh, it focused more on, um, on, the, on the Bible, and, which was great because it's good to learn the Bible, but it also focused on something called a premillennial eschatology, where you would, in fact, you, you were kind of preparing and trying to get people into the life of Jesus before the end times, before the rapture. And I don't know, and by show of hands, you don't have to show me if you grew up in that kind of environment. Um, and, it, and it definitely led and uh, led. Uh, it was sort of connected to something called cessationism, which is the gifts of the spirit are no longer operational and they're not really available to us today. That was just something for the apostles and for Jesus. And, I, you know, I didn't realize, I was like, oh, maybe that's true, maybe that's not, I don't know, I'm a college student, I'm so awesome, I know everything. And I didn't really, like, spend much time working on that. And it wasn't until I went into seminary and I took this class called Person in Ministry, um, I was in ministry and I was a person, so I thought I should take the class. <laughs> and it was about how to be in ministry for the long haul and not burn out. And how to be connected to God in a very spiritual, strong, and healthy way. And what the professor did is he started to work with students in the class to uncover where are the possible points in your life where you have experienced pain or trauma, whether it's from a family member or some other instance, and what might God want to do about those things? 
What might God want to say to those things? And the way he would talk about God, it felt different than like how I had heard other people talk about God. Because it was almost like he's like, God's in the room, and maybe he wants you to not have to carry that burden. And he would start to talk to people like that. And then I started to think, you know, there's something in my past that I wanted to work through. And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, does God heal? Does God do healing inside of us? And I was, there was a collision there for me because the last four years have been like very much like the end times are coming. And I was like slowly moving away from that. I didn't really find that to be a helpful theology. And here this guy is introducing me to the spirit of God in a way that was different than I had experienced before. And I was carrying some things from my past that were affecting the way I operated in the world. And I found myself, because you would go to the class for half the day, and then half the day you would spend it in a small group processing whatever he taught about. Uh, and, uh, and so I found myself in this little small group processing. And this group, I shared the thing that was going on, and this group started to pray for me. And in the moment, I started to experience God in a new way, and I started to cry. I'm like, I'm not a big crier. Like, what's happening here? You know, God, what's happening to me? I felt embarrassed and like, I'm like wiping it out and then like, and they're like, and like they were, and they, the, the group was like there with me and some of them started to cry and they, and they, 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 what I think the leader said, this feels like a holy moment. And from that moment, they began to speak new truths that, that were from the Bible, but they were somehow connected to my heart in a way where it felt like God was actually doing something in the room, in my heart, and he was reworking something in me and changing me. And I walked away from that experience like changed. Like I didn't have and carry the same burden. I was more free to operate and live my life the way God, I think, wanted me to do. And this was hard because this was a collision. This was a collision of the way I grew up where I didn't actually, I kind of believed in healing and didn't see healing happen. I kind of like was around this conservative ministry in college, but I didn't really see the power of God. But now I was starting to see it in my own life. My experience was starting to shape me and change the way I was thinking about things. And I'm going to pause. That's, my, that's part of my story here. I want to pause. But what was happening to me? What do you think was happening to me in that moment? Well, what we believe here at Pax City is that there is a collision of two kingdoms. That there is a kingdom of this world that's led by an evil spiritual force named Satan, and he rules over this dominion. But in the coming of Jesus, Jesus established his kingdom here on earth in power. And that when Jesus came into this earth and he died on the cross and rose again, he established spiritual power on this world. And he gave that spiritual power to the disciples and to the apostles and to anyone else who wanted to have access to that power. And what we're experiencing in this time isn't the end. I mean, we still experience sin and problems and brokenness. And we look around the world, there's lots of crazy things. I mean, we're having church outdoors. I mean, like, you know, see, there's like still problems in the world. But there is a, there is a future date that Jesus has established that Jesus started building his kingdom, but is not, his kingdom is not fully built, and we are participating in that collision of those two kingdoms. But right now, we're on the winning side. That the kingdom of God is crashing in to the here and now with his power and his presence. And he's taking the world that is broken, and he's turning it upside down and healing it. One person at a time. One system at a time. 
And what we're experiencing is the collision between the rational and the spiritual. In my heart and in my head, the things that I was experiencing, I should be able to just work it out with a therapist. But in that moment, the Spirit of God was doing something that I didn't expect. Which ties us to this story that we read about in Peter. If you have your notes, you can look at it. In Peter, he's, we see this an example of the collision of these two kingdoms. We have Jesus, who's not a professional fisherman. Fisher person. I'm going to just say fisherman for now. This is going to be really, you know, it's LA, fisher people. Uh, so um, he's not a professional fisherman. And the guy's name is Simon, Simon Peter. I, I just want to know that's interchangeable here. Uh, he ended up changing his name. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus is not a professional fisherman. Jesus is hanging around. And there's these fishermen, multiple boats. They're there. And look in verse 4, he says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And this is where it gets interesting. This is the collision here that you need to see. It says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is interesting. Because as far as we can tell, and most scholars would say, that Peter was probably a successful businessman. There's multiple boats here. There's multiple nets. The guy knows what he's doing. Can you imagine someone coming into your world and whatever you do and who doesn't know anything and say, well, why don't you do it this way? You'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. You're, you don't have a rational concept for what this is. You don't know my industry. You don't know how it works, but you're saying I should come in and do a thing that I've been trying to do all night. I should just do it on the other side. of, And that's what you're getting here with Peter. Peter's like, I'm the pro fisherman. I'm the pro. I got the nets. I got the boats. I make the money. You want me to go out and just throw the nets on the other side and see what happens? And we have to understand and appreciate that there is a level of uh, sarcasm here. You can imagine Peter being like, well, because you say so. Well, because you say so. It wasn't like he was like, oh, because you say so. He was like, well, if you say so, all right, we'll give it a go. They give it a go. And what happens? What happens in that moment when the person who has no business telling someone how to fish tells the expert who knows how to fish, who knows how to build a small business in Galilee, what happens? It says in verse 6, when they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them. That's a lot of fish. Like Peter was way off. Not only were there fish, but there was like, hey, partners from the other boats, because we have a multiple boat operation. We need help. Let's come, up, come over here. We need help getting all these fish. And they began to fill the boat so much that the boats began to sink. Do you know how many fish it takes to sink a boat? I'm literally asking, does anyone know? <laughs> it's a lot, I would assume, right? And so Simon Peter saw this. There's something crazy here. He says he fell at his knees. He fell to Jesus. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James, John, son of Zebedee, Simon's partner, and then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up ashore and left everything and followed him. And this is crazy. Look at that verse in verse 8. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What is happening here? It is the collision of two kingdoms. You have a person 
But when he says he's a sinful man, what is he saying here? He's saying, I have missed the mark. There is something else going on with you that I didn't realize was happening in the world. And it's crashing in on me. And the, my world, as I understood it, is no longer an operable uh, way of thinking in the world. God, you're, Jesus, you are doing something new. And I don't know if you're sure what I believe in, but I'm sin, sinful. I need to do something different. There was a collision. Something transrational had happened. Something supernatural had invaded earth. This guy's just fishing his whole life. He knows what he's doing, and all of a sudden, his boats are about to sink. Something supernatural has taken place. And something was, that something was a someone who transformed him. And as a result of this power encounter, Peter goes, I am changed forever. And I'm going to put down my nets and I'm going to follow you. And this is the mark of the power of God. When someone comes into the power of God or experiences the power and the manifest presence of God, something happens. You leave businesses behind and you go on a three-year journey with Jesus and you cut off someone's ear and Jesus goes, don't do that anymore, Peter. And he heals the guy's ear. And then you go on and you start something called the church. And you go on and you end up dying. You end up being crucified. Peter ends up getting crucified. And by the way, he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to get crucified the same way Jesus got crucified. He gets crucified upside down because he loves Jesus. Because Why? Because he couldn't deny that there was a transrational, supernatural power that had crushed into his life. And it was done in a way where he felt the love of God. This is God's power and presence that was established with Jesus and is available to us now. It's the same thing. If you look, uh, I don't know if you uh, brought a phone with you today. Uh, you can look this up. I didn't ask Ingrid to read this because it would have been a lot. And this is her first time and I want her to come back and read in the future. So I didn't give her too much to read. But in Acts chapter 2, we see the same thing. We see the day of Pentecost. Uh, and if you don't know this, the disciples, the 12 disciples, this is after Jesus leaves the earth. He goes up to heaven. He ascends into heaven. And Jesus leaves the earth. And they're all together. And the, ver and, the, and the story goes like this. I'm going to read it to you with uh, much gusto. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. And they were hearing the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they said to one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. I need to help you understand that what happened with Peter now uh, it gets translated into the rest of the world here. Like there was nothing happening. It was an everyday situation in Jerusalem. People are going about their business. They're hanging around. 
nothing's happening at all. And then all of a sudden, the spirit did something. It wasn't like they got a worship service and there was a lot of emotion and there was lasers and smoke machines uh, at some worship service. It wasn't Chris Tomlin. It was like nothing was happening. It was like 08, well, probably 33, 34 AD. And there was nothing happening. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God shows up and does what he wants to do in that moment. And what you need to see here, this is so important because these disciples, one of them who was Peter, who had followed Jesus for three years, one of these disciples, all these disciples, were Galileans. Do you know what a Galilean is? A Galilean was from a part of Israel that wasn't like the cosmopolitan, sophisticated part of Israel. So like... Um, I'm, I'm trying to decide which region of the country I want to pick on for this illustration. <laughs> oh, you want to pick on? I'll pick on Cleveland. No, no, but the, you know, but like you imagine, New Yorkers very sophisticated, you know, a Manhattanite, you know, or you're like maybe you're here in West LA, or you know, there's you know, there's parts of um, you know Beverly Hills or whatever. They're very sophisticated and they understand culture and art and their education. And you're around them. There's a great book about this called Bobos in Paradise, written by David Brooks, one of my favorite New York Times. Uh, where it's just like very sophisticated, smart, uh, bohemian, bourgeois folk. Uh, and uh, the Galileans were anything but that. These were people that looked different and they talked different. These people had an accent. And they were like, and so when Jesus, who was from Galilee, would talk, it would be like he actually had a twang. He had their version of a twang. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father save from me. And he had, he, that's how he talked, and that's how the disciples sounded. And so you have something, these, all these sophisticated people in Jerusalem go, look at these Galileans. Look at them. They're talking in our language. And they're talking in a way that makes sense to us. They're not talking with the twang. They're, they're making it sound like the way we actually talk. I mean, have you ever uh, tried to learn a foreign language? I have. Uh, once, I wasn't allowed to graduate college unless I did an immersive study in Mexico to get those Spanish credits. I walked through my graduation day and it was empty. And they go, you need Spanish credits. So I went to Mexico for a month. And like, do you know what it sounds like to be this? and try to learn to speak Spanish is like, hola, me toca la guitarra. <laughs> my accent and the fact that it's not my language comes through, right? And that's not what's happening here. We have a supernatural, transrational thing that's happening. These Galileans are speaking in the tongue and the language of people all over the world. There's no way these backwoods hillbilly Galileans should be able to do this unless the power of God had come and rested on them. And that's what happens. And the people were there and they were astonished. They were astonished. And those who were witnessing it were actually having a harder time with it than those who were experiencing it. And because of this powerful breakthrough, what happens, and then you can read on in this in Acts chapter 2. I'm not, I don't have time to read it. Ingrid didn't have time to read it. But uh, you can go on and you can read it for yourself. Immediately after this moment where all these people are speaking in languages that are not their own, they gather all these people, and who gets up? Peter. Peter gets up, and he gives the worst gospel presentation ever. He goes, you killed Jesus. And he goes, you need to be saved. And Something like 4,000 of them became saved that day. 4,000 go, there is something that has happened in this moment. We're hearing languages 
in our own tongue without the weird Galilean accent. There's no reason this should be happening. God's in the room. We have to respond to this. And the spirit of conviction fell on that room and those people came into life with Jesus. The moment, that moment of power created a foundation for the preaching of the gospel. There's an encounter that is happening with the living God here. Do you get that? Do you get that? And, you know, it said that they were amazed and perplexed. Some people were amazed. Some people were perplexed. Even though something was happening, some people were like, this is amazing. And other people were like, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that. I don't know how I feel about that. And the reason I mention that is that when we start to encounter the power and the presence of God, you too will fall into one of two camps. Some of you will be amazed. Some of you will say, this is the greatest thing that I've ever experienced. Thank you, Jesus. And other of you, others of you will say, this is a little perplexing. I'm not sure what I think about this. I'm not sure if my Bible says it the way you say it. There can be a moment of perplexity. Which camp will you fall in? I don't know, but we do know that the outpouring of God's spirit when he comes and in his manifest presence and power, you will either respond in a positive way or you'll respond in a very confusing way. Now back to my journey, I want to share that, share this part with you, but back to my journey, you know, after this time of experiencing the Holy Spirit, bringing healing to something that had happened in my past, or I begin to think, I found myself uh, uh, dating a girl uh, that I eventually married. Um, it's my first wife, an older wife, uh, Vicky. And we would, I would go down to see her in Columbus, and we would show up to this church. She would bring me to church, and um, I was in seminary. I was like, I know everything. About it. I'll go. And so she's like, let's go to Vineyard Columbus. I'm like, okay. And you go in there, and you're like, well, they're somewhat successful. Um, the building is about as big as an airplane hangar. You can fit actual large airplanes in there. You're like, okay, so they're doing something, right? And you go there, and I remember... I remember going to there and I remember being drawn in. I remember being excited. I remember being confused. I remember being skeptical. I, and ultimately I remember being ruined. And I remember that people would do things and they would say things like, come Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, where's that in the book? Better be in the book. Where it's not in the book, man. Where does it say come Holy Spirit? It's not in the book. You better be in the book. And what were they doing? I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Was he, I mean, God's here. I mean, he's not like not here. He's omnipresent. I have a great seminary background. I would know that. Where are you getting come Holy Spirit from? It's not in the book, man. And what were they saying? They were saying, yeah, we acknowledge that God's spirit is here. Oh, it's already all here. But what were we saying? We're saying we're asking for God's manifest presence, that we would be aware of his presence, what he's doing in us and what he's doing in other people. That we would experience God in a way that actually changes us. Come Holy Spirit, they would say. And, I, and so, you know, and I remember like being in rooms where we say, come Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden stuff would happen to people. You'd start to see people uh, experience things that they weren't uh, experiencing before. Um, I remember being, I remember being so, at something, um, at this event with this guy named David Roos. Ever hear of David Roos? And uh, David Roos... Uh, he uh, he was like a worship leader, and we're in this room, 
and all these strange like things are happening from the stage and all these people are having an experience with God and he brings out a conch shell and I'm like, oh my God, not this. <laughs> not the Pentecostal conch shell. And he's like, or it, was, it might have actually, can I be, can I correct myself? It was actually a shofar. It was actually, actually a shofar. And so it was like, uh, it was like a shofar, a horn. Uh, and like, and I'm like, oh Lord almighty, please God. And I'm like, you know, whenever like you get embarrassed at church and you like put your hands on the seat in front of you, just like put your like, how long is this going to be? And I'm like laughing and he like gets up there. He's like, doo, 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 doo. like he's like weird. He's weird. And I, I do, I swear to you, I go, oh God, this is so dumb. And as soon as that happened, whammo, something happened to me. I felt God's power all over my body. And I was like, no, not now, Lord, please. That'd be a more normal moment where like I'm worshiping you. I'm like totally upset with it. And the spirit guy says, I can come and I can speak and I felt like God's spirit was saying to me I can come and I can speak to you and I can do whatever I want with whomever I want however I want and I was like dang <laughs> I'm like well and then uh, a few years later David Bruce came to another event uh, and we were up that, at this point I was on staff at the church uh, and like he was equally as weird and so uncomfortable. He got up and he started singing the wrong lyrics of a song by himself. <laughs> That's what he did. And then another person started singing, another person, and all of a sudden it turned into this eruption of noise, and then God's spirit fell, and all these people were healed. And I'm like, again, with this David Bruce Why is it that I must, why do you come in power with the guy I want to be skeptical? I want to have a bias. And you come in power with him. Why do you do that? And I, I remember being ruined. I remember being ruined because, uh, unlike you, when I sit and listen to worship at church, I have a lot of opinions in my head, which are like, mm, what do I think about this? And what do I think about that? Not you guys. Not, not you guys. You're the circuit. But like, uh, <laughs> but I have thoughts and thoughts, and I'm like, well, they should have done this, and uh, they should have said a song it this way. And man, the guitar player really is going for the solo today. Uh, and sarcastically and what was happening to me at this church is I knew there was I knew with my eyes that there was a worship band on the stage and I knew they were good they had a lot of people right they had the chime guy and you know like oh god and I knew they were I knew they were on the stage and I knew they were at least a tight band and they were singers but on a regular basis when I was there I would forget that there was a worship band I was so like, there was something happening where I was, Lord, what are you doing in me? And I feel like I would be talking about relationships. He would be talking about things that I was struggling with in terms of sin. Uh, I would he'd be uh, feeling like he'd be talking to me during worship about things that he wanted to do in my life. He'd give me vision for the future. And all this is happening in worship. And I could just feel this weight of what God was doing in my heart. And I would forget that there was like world-class worship leaders out there. What was that? What was that? What do you, how do you explain that? And the only way I could come up with it is that the Spirit of God was operating in power in the worship to do something in me. Not that he had to, but he would. I remember the preacher would get up when we first went there. And I'm like, well, this is an unimpressive, ugly man. How, did he, how is he leading this whole church? And he had weird pants and he, and he had a whiny voice. And you're like, man, how did this guy? You expect him to look like a large church politician. Like a large church would almost look like a very like slick politician, right? Something you'd see on an HBO special. And, uh, but this guy was completely unimpressive. And he would speak and God's power would fall in the room. People would be crying. I would be crying. He would say, well, I want you to just lead some people to the Lord. And people would stand up all over the place. And what we were discovering is, is he was speaking and he's trying to be faithful. 
But really all he was doing was talking for a little bit to create an introduction for what would happen at the end of the service, which is we would make space for the Holy Spirit to come and work in power. And I just remember early on, and eventually when I went on set, I just remember this place is dangerous. This isn't like other churches where it's safe. This is dangerous here. Someone might talk to you about your sin. Someone might talk to you and come up to you and say, I just feel like God has a word for you that you need to stop doing this and do this. Or I feel like God might be speaking to you about making a change in your life this way. And you look at him and you go, how did you, how did you know that specific thing about my life? Did someone tell you? And you go through the, you know, who's gossiping about you thing. You come to realize that the Lord was talking to you. And you would start to, it didn't feel safe. It felt dangerous. Not to mention when you would see people being prayed for. You would see people being prayed for. We saw, we saw hundreds of people healed. And why? Because they regularly expected God to heal people. You saw people healed of sicknesses where the doctors couldn't figure out what to do. They would be healed. We saw legs healed. We saw body parts healed. We saw cancer like healed. We saw people with functional AIDS like have that go away without any kind of additional uh, medication. And we were a part of it. I remember early on, um, you know, it's always when I'm going down for it for prayer. I, I remember this one pastor, his name is Eric. He invited people to come down uh, because maybe you're feeling a sense of spiritual oppression in your life. I go, yeah, I'll go. Oh, this is going to be fun. And so I go down there and uh, it's to the front, like, like here. But you got to imagine it's like a, an airport hangar full of people, so it takes a little courage. I go down there, and um, this guy I don't know, uh, I go, yeah, I just wanted someone to pray for me about the thing that they said you should come down and pray for. And he's like, okay, I'll do that for you. And um, so I just don't do anything. Maybe I open my hands or whatever. And he puts a hand on me. And I wasn't, I'm not like a big, like, uh, want to feel something kind of guy. Uh, and I promise you, there was a tingling from the top of my head down to the bottom of my feet. And I started instantly crying. And I started to shake. I'm like, oh God, what are you doing? What's happening? And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me directly. It's in my mind about the thing that I had gone forward here. But there was something physical that I was not like trying to fake because I don't care about that. It was something that was happening to my body. I started shaking. I'm like, kind of like, oh my God, what are you doing? And like the guy who was praying for me, uh, he probably had never experienced this uh, either when he was praying for me because he goes, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> like, oh God, oh God, oh God. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, oh God, he doesn't know what he's doing. This is going to go badly. And like, and, and he like starts praying for me and I felt like God um, was touching me to tell me that he was with me to help bring healing and fullness from that area to release whatever spiritual oppression I was feeling. And, um, you know, um, what am I getting at in all these stories? Well, the founder of the Vineyard, we're part of the Vineyard Movement, this church, when we started this church, we've tried to continue in that legacy where we've tried to say, we want to welcome God's power and presence. What if, what if God wants to mark us with his actual manifest power and presence, not so we can just say we have stuff happening in the room, but because he wants to show us that he loves us or that he wants to do something to show us that he cares about us. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, when he became a Christian, 
He didn't know any better, and so he was hoping, as he read the Bible, uh, that they would start doing the stuff in the Bible. So he'd go around and talk to people at churches uh, when he was a new Christian, and he would say, well, when do we get to do the stuff? And they would say, well, what stuff? You know, the stuff in the book. we got to do the stuff in the book. And so, oh, we don't do the stuff in the book. And part of what John's uh, ministry was, was reintroducing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to the modern church. And 30, 40 years ago, that was hard for people. Hard for people to say, now we expect it. Now, in 2022, why would you even consider spending time at a church unless God's power and presence is there? Unless God's power and presence is real. And that's what we're after. The leadership team and myself, um, we're going to dive into this uh, over the next four, four to five weeks. We're not sure how long it'll go. We're going to go as long as we feel like we're supposed to go in this series. And we called it Power and Presence. Uh, because why? Because we want to do the stuff. Like if we're just sitting here enjoying the fact that there, there's a heaven for us, I think we're missing the mark. That God's manifest power presence, his kingdom isn't just up there. His kingdom has come and has entered into the world in the here and the now. And the goal of this series is to teach each of us how to grow more comfortable in recognizing God's voice, responding to God's voice, and actually seeing God's power. Now, what we believe is that in the Christian church, everybody gets to play. That this is not just about me doing some stuff up front, and I'm going to take some big swings, and I make, might make some misses, but the point of it is that we all get to participate. That we all get the chance to say, well, what if it's possible? What if, like, I prayed for zero people last year? I'm talking about you, not me. I'm talking, like, what if you prayed for zero people last year to see them healed? And what if you prayed for 10 people this year and one of them got healed? Well, well, what, what does that tell me? It tells me you just need to take more risks. Now, nine didn't get healed, but one did. But had you not prayed for those 10, you wouldn't have seen that one. And how do we start to move and operate? And how do we learn to know what God's up to? And how do we get away from emotionalism where we need to psych ourselves up or we need to seem like we're really spiritual so we think God might move? No, we need to go away from that. And we just need to empty ourselves from thinking that we can do anything and we need to trust that God wants to do something. And I believe that it will require a transformed worldview. It's going to require, if we want to do this stuff, uh, we're going to have to take risks to try to do this stuff. And so I'm asking God in this next season, along with our leadership team, to do miracles in our midst. And to do miracles uh, in the people that we live around. And one of the things that we know is one of the main ways that people come to faith in Christ isn't because of our wonderful arguments. It's because sometimes they have something that has gripped their heart, some sort of spiritual power, some sort of manifest presence that grips them and leads them and bypasses their biases. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about, uh, and I'm asking you to be a part of it. And so that's where we're headed and you're invited to join up with us. Now, I'm going to wrap up uh, right now. And um, here's where I want to leave you as we start this series. God's power and God's presence starts with recognizing God's voice. And if we don't recognize God's voice, we can't do much. And so I want to propose this to you. Is it possible that some of the thoughts that you have throughout your day. Is it possible that those thoughts aren't your thoughts? Is it possible 
that our rational Western minds have trained us to think that all of our thoughts actually originated in us. Is it possible that the Spirit of God has already been speaking to you today and the day before and the day before? And how would you know and how would you learn to tell the difference between your thoughts and the thoughts of we might just need to tune in a little bit and recognize God's voice in a different way? Does that make sense? Am I, am I, do I, am I making, thank you. Thank you, Madam Connor. Can't wait for next week. Uh, I'm in for the burpees, by the way. Um, you know, what if, what if, what if some of the things that you're thinking throughout the week, what if those were actually light promptings from God? Maybe God was speaking to you. Maybe God has been speaking. Maybe God will speak to you. You know, um, I got to tell you, that's the place to start. Is this my thought, God, or is this your thought? The other day, I thought I was, uh, we got, we are part of Wine of the Month Club uh, with Gary V. Uh, he's a potty mouth, uh, but he's great. And he sends us wine, wine of the month. And I get these bottles of wine, and, uh, but I, I, they get dropped off because our neighbors picked them up because we were out of town in Florida. And uh, we get the bottles of wine from them. I open them up and I'm going to put them away. And I get this light, this thought. I'm thinking about, hmm, I got this new wine. We can try it. Can't wait for Nikki to get home. We're going to try it. And I get this thought that's like counter that. And the thought was, you should give one of those bottles of wine away to the neighbor that held on to them for you. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's my wine. I want my wine with my wife. Me. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. So I put them away. And I'm like going back. And it's like, keep pressing in. I'm like, I can't get away from this thought. I'm like, okay. And there was three bottles in there. And I go, I'm going to give, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll give them the cheap one. <laughs> there's like there's a cheap one, there's a Miller Rowan, and then there's the expensive one. And I get a cheap one, I go, I get it all set up, still cleaning up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm finally in line with God's and then and then I just feel this presently like, give them the most expensive one. And I'm like, no, dude, that's my wine. It's a Barolo. I don't want to do that. No, I want I want to keep that. That one's mine. It's mine. And it just it, it, like the spirit wouldn't relent. And so I'm like, all right. I'll do it. I surrender. So I get it. And I finally go up there and I give it to the neighbors. And they are like, oh my gosh, thank you. You didn't have to do this. I'm like, hey, just sharing the love. I've always wanted to be generous. I wasn't downstairs <laughs> complaining about this. Leading <laughs> up to this. I go, how are you guys? And they literally went into one of the saddest things that happened to them. Their car was stolen just a few days earlier. They didn't know what they were going to do about it. They were talking to me about it. And they literally opened up in that moment. And, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, Lord, I can't believe it. You were right about this. And I'm sitting there and I'm pastoring them as a neighbor. Like, man, that's really hard. What can I do to help? And I got to be there for them. And then when they went back and probably uh, took a picture of the wine bottle and saw what it was, it like reinforced the quality, which I'm super mad about. But, uh, but like, how could I have known that I was supposed to go give them a bottle of wine at that moment and give them the nice one and have the wrestle match and then like hear that they're going through like the worst time ever? Maybe those promptings, that initial prompting wasn't my best idea. Um, a couple days ago, I reached out to my friend in Chicago. He used to be a part of this uh, church. Uh, they're in Chicago. I go, hey man, I don't know why, but I'm just reaching out to you. How are you? And he's like, perfect timing. I'm like, damn. <laughs> what? What is it? He's like, we're moving back. I'm like, really? 
And he's like, we don't know like what we're gonna do. We have to get the condo ready. We have the people that were living in the condo. We have to get them out. And we get them ready. it's very, and I'm like, listen, I used to be in real estate, I can help you. And they're like, this is a huge load off. I'm so glad you reached out. I could not have timed that better for them. So here I am giving away bottles of wine, helping people turn over condos to get them, re them ready. And those are all connected to the promptings. Those are connected to the promptings. And then, and then just like we had this other prompting uh, at the, before the uh, end of the year, we were like, we're gonna tithe on our yearly tithe. So we took whatever our tithe was, which is a 10% gift, uh, and we give 10% of our income to Pack City. And we said, well, whatever that total amount was, we're gonna give another 10% on top of that. So we give about a million a year, so we decided to give another 100,000 to the church. So, and, and, and like, you know, right before you hit the click button, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to do this, but we feel like we're supposed to do it. We, seriously, I, I, I promise you, and I'm, I'm not, we're not a health and wealth church, so um, you might get poor here with less wine and help people turn over apartments. But this one, like we literally give the dollar amount and like within a day, like someone writes us a check for something else and like personally, the same amount came back in. And I was like, Lord, what are you, what are you, like we didn't even need, like we're, we were giving that money, we didn't expect it back, but something happened in that world. Like you can't outgive God. And you can't outgive the prompting. You can't, you, there's something about the promptings that God might be leading you in this year that might lead to you doing things like praying for someone. And the first nine might not get healed, and then the tenth one does. And I want to build that kind of church uh, with you in 2022. What do you say we try?